Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Timberwolves Weekly Podcast. My name is Ethan Becker. I am a writer at Hoops Habit covering the Minnesota Timberwolves, and this is the weekly podcast that I do kind of talking about, you know, the team and the situation that they face. Uh, took a couple weeks off here. Need to get some personal projects going, so I'll say right away, uh, NBA, Forgotten Histories, a new podcast documentary series that I will be hosting starting up October 16th. We'll be starting with an episode on uh, the game that Larry Bird played entirely left-handed, one of my favorite NBA stories kind of all, of all time, and it's not really talked about all that much. So if you guys are interested in stuff like that, we're going to be talking about the Larry Bird game. We're going to be talking about John Havlicek. We're going to be talking about the rivalry between Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain. And probably the episode that I'm most excited for is we will be talking about the 1964 All-Star Strike. Uh, and so it should be a good time. So keep your eyes peeled. You can follow me at Real Ethan Becker on Twitter to kind of get updates on that. Otherwise, we're going to jump into the show. we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about the, uh, da- the situation surrounding Damian Lillard and how that could uh, impact the team. We're going to be talking about a potential Ben Simmons trade and why I don't like that. Of course, uh, anybody who follows my work at Hoops Habit will already know my stance on that. I published a post on there this Friday about that. And we're going to be looking at some free agency situations. So let's get right into that. If you got any questions, uh, feel free to save them for the end of the podcast. I'll be answering some questions. And yeah, we are, I'm now recording in Spotify Greenroom. I'm kind of trying this out for the first time. So if this is something that you guys are interested in, and if it's something that you like, let me know, and I'll keep doing it. And if you don't like it, keep your mouth shut. Okay? It's already enough negativity in the world. Anyways, uh, so we're going to start off talking by uh, talking about rather the Damian Lillard trade situation and the Damian Lillard kind of situation with the Portland Trailblazers. So it's important to note right off the top here that uh, Friday morning there were some reports that came out that said Lillard was expected to kind of make a statement that he wanted to trade, make a statement that he wanted off the Trailblazers. Lillard came out in a press conference later that day and said that those reports were not true, uh, that he isn't really sure what he wants to do right now. He's still kind of evaluating his future, and he seems conflicted because it seems like he, he wants to continue playing for Portland, but it also seems like he really wants to win a championship. I think he's he's finally starting to come around. I, I don't know if people... uh remember, but back in 2019, he kind of did an interview where he said, you know, there's more to this game than championships, and there's more to this than just winning some rings. Uh, Lillard, of course, was a big uh, critic of Kevin Durant's move to the Golden State Warriors that was viewed as Durant kind of ring chasing and going to a team that had already won one. And so it'll be interesting to see uh, what kind of happens from here on out. Of course, you know, Lillard's tune has kind of changed. It, it feels like he, he, it feels increasingly less and less likely that he's going to stay with the Trailblazers for the entirety of his career. And, uh, I'll talk, I'll touch briefly on 
kind of the just this past off season already stuff that's gone on. On so uh, Portland and former head coach Terry Stotts have agreed to mutually part ways at the beginning of the off season, which was a weird situation because it didn't really feel mutual at all. And so there are kind of some questions there on whether or not like did he get fired and they just kind of wanted to avoid a media storm or was it more of a mutual thing? We we don't really know. Uh, we can only go off of what Stotts and the team said, which is that it was mutual. But of course, Terry Stotts has been the coach of the Portland Trailblazers for the entire time Lillard has been playing there for 12 years, right? And so moving into this offseason, they're looking for a new coach. They're looking for somebody to coach and to mentor Lillard. And Lillard has publicly spoken out about uh, his love for specifically two coaches, uh, that of Jason Kidd, who uh, was recently hired for the Dallas Mavericks position, of course, and of uh, David Vanderpool, right, from the a former Minnesota Timberwolves himself. Uh, he was a assistant head coach last year. Of course, he left uh, at this offseason, and when Minnesota was looking for a new coach, they kind of overlooked Vanterpool, and Lillard, Lillard was critical of that, and now he's gone to the Brooklyn Nets uh, to be the head, the assistant coach, excuse me, of uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Of course, the head coach there, Steve Nash, uh, former Warriors assistant. So, <clears throat> that that's kind of it's kind of a weird situation that Portland passed up on not one but two both of the coaches that Lillard has publicly advocated for. Of course, Kidd removed himself from the situation, so we can't really hold that against the Blazers. It did look like Portland was maybe going to uh, hire him and bring him on. At least he was having an interview. So it it is interesting there to see that you know. There aren't many times where a superstar publicly advocates for a coach to be hired. That coach isn't hired, and then that superstar just kind of brushes it off and moves on. Like, typically that is something that sticks with them. And a point that I made in an article that I wrote that will be going up later this week is that uh, Portland needs, I think, to take a lesson from history and that it's always better to move your disgruntled superstar early <laughs> rather than late. Uh, of course, Minnesota fans can attest to what happens when you try to keep a disgruntled star around after the Jimmy Butler saga. But if you look at the other end, the moving a superstar early, you look at moving Blake Griffin, right, who really enabled Los Angeles to get in a position where they could later on acquire Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but of course there were only rumors at the time that Griffin was moved that he was going that he was unhappy, right? They they didn't wait for a firestorm. They didn't wait for a public trade request, right? Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see what Portland does here. Uh, Simmons is kind of in a similar spot with the Philadelphia 76ers. Of course, uh, Ben Simmons, he was a draft pick for them. And 
spent his entire first season on the bench with an injury, came back, won Rookie of the Year in what is technically his second season, uh, to which I think Utah Jazz fans have still never forgiven the league. And at even at the beginning of this season, Daryl Morey was adamant that they were not trading Simmons and that they were not uh, getting rid of him. And now, at the end of the season, there are reports that Morey is openly taking trade conversations for Simmons. He wants an all-star player in return, right? He wants an all-star package. And uh, his head coach, Doc Rivers, came out and said that he's not sure that Simmons can be a starting point guard on a championship caliber team. And so the tune from the organization side has kind of changed with Simmons. And of course, Simmons has stayed quiet uh, through all of this. He hasn't really talked about the trade speculation all that much. So we'll kind of touch on both of those, but I think my prediction for this shortened off season is I think at the start of next season, we are not going to see both of those guys with their same team. We might see Portland still have Lillard. We might see Philadelphia still have Simmons, but I think I think what's most likely to happen is that one player stays, one player goes. If I had to place money on it, I would place money on Simmons being the guy who's traded away this offseason. Possibly there's been talks of Simmons to the Minnesota Timberwolves, which I'll touch on in a little bit here, but I want to touch more on the least likely trade that's going to happen between uh, Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers, of course. So if Lillard does leave... Portland. It's probably going to be for a team on his short list that was reportedly on his short list. And so those teams were Detroit, they were New York, and they were Philadelphia, uh, were the three teams that really kind of stood out for Lillard saying, This is where I want to go. And that's kind of a that's kind of an interesting situation. Uh of course Detroit was probably the most shocking one to everybody, but then you look at the fact that they have the number one overall pick, uh, they are likely to keep that. It's like Kate Cunningham and playing Cunningham next to Lillard next season would just be a very interesting duo in a Eastern Conference that, of course, isn't as powered as the Western Conference, right? Uh, the Western Conference has, for a very long time, been considered the stronger of the two conferences, and even the conference that the Trailblazers as well. The Minnesota Timberwolves share uh, the Central Division is one of the strongest divisions in the NBA, right? There's the Denver Nuggets, who were a playoff team who went really deep, right? The only reason that they lost is because of really an injury that allowed the Suns to kind of take advantage of their team. There's the Utah Jazz, who uh, are phenomenal right now. And uh, Donovan Mitchell is just kind of coming out and showing everybody who doubted him wrong. There is the Oklahoma City Thunder, who, while they aren't a huge problem right now, they could be in the near future. And, of course, then there is the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Portland Trailblazers. So removing Lillard from that situation and sending him east, which uh, the Trailblazers are likely to do, would kind of open up the Central Division, not too much. It would make uh, Portland a little more easier to contest with because they're probably not going to be a superstar in return 
uh, for Lillard, right? I just last night I was doing some work and just off the top of my head, I tried to count the superstars in the league right now. And I counted about seven, including Lillard, right? And so there's Brooklyn's big three, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. None of those guys seem disgruntled right now. None of them seem upset at their current situation. There's LeBron James, who I think more than not wants to run it back as a Laker, right? He's talked about how he wants to retire as a Laker, right? And he's talking about in like seven years he wants to retire as a Laker, which would be an insane tenure for that dude. There's Kawhi Leonard. There is uh, Damian Lillard. Uh, Damian Lillard, of course, like the only one on this list so far who's disgruntled, I would say the the next most kind of upset superstar would be Kawhi Leonard, but he doesn't even seem really upset right now. And I think that's that's really it. I I mean, I'm, I'm listing off names off the top of my head here, right? I didn't write these down. I, I haven't checked, so I'm sure I'm missing one. But you kind of look at just that list and it's like, those are kind of, oh, uh, Steph Curry is the one who I was forgetting from, of course, from, uh, the seven that I counted last night. Uh, and yeah, he, obviously he seems really happy actually with the Warriors. I would be shocked if Curry didn't spend his entire career with them. And so look at those seven guys. None of them seem like they're on the way out. None of them seem like they're ready to leave. And then. Even you look at the guys who are tier two and the guys who are like just on that line of being a superstar, but maybe not quite there yet. In my mind, those guys are guys like Giannis, who if he wins this final, especially if he wins in game six, like we'll talk about later, uh, I think we'll have no choice but to call him a superstar. I think he'll move up into that second tier. Uh, you guys got guys like Luca, who I think I, I, I don't know exactly Lucas' feelings on Dallas, but I don't think he's ready to leave quite yet. I think he more wants them to go around him. But in a few years, I could definitely see him being in a similar situation that Lillard is in right now and maybe looking for a way out. You got uh, Ben Simmons' partner in Joel Embiid, right, uh, who Philadelphia seems content on keeping and building around. They seem like this guy is the guy that they want to kind of focus on the franchise cornerstone. And so you got guys like that. Uh, of course, Jokic, who just won MVP this year. And so I don't think he'll be looking for trade out. And so the point is that you're not going to get a guy of Lillard's caliber. And I don't really think you're going to get a guy below Lillard's caliber either. And so it will be interesting to see what kind of package Portland does get back, I would expect them to get a lot of picks for Lillard. And so because of all this, Portland's going to take a step down in talent. It's going to be easier for Minnesota to compete with them. And so you're looking at Portland and OKC are the two teams who Minnesota could kind of easily compete with and easily kind of best in the divisional matchups. But then you got guys like Utah and Denver who would still pose problems for an entry into the postseason. Right, so after all that, we'll kind of move on to 
a Simmons situation, right? There's been a lot of rumors swirling around that Minnesota is really interested in Ben Simmons. Uh, of course, Simmons is still under contract, so it would have to be a trade, and he's under contract for quite a while. Yeah, I believe till 2024, if uh, memory serves correctly. And so, if they do trade for him, he could be a sort of long-term piece, at least for a couple of years, to help build around and persuade to sign again to Minnesota. But the bigger problem is I don't know if it's a good move for Minnesota. First of all, it doesn't seem like he's content on playing a four or five position. It seems like Simmons really wants to be somebody who can bring the ball up. Now, if you're Giannis Antetokounmpo, that's fine, right? You, you've got the size, but you've got the athleticism to be able to hit these kind of really difficult shots. I mean, we saw it in game four with, uh, the foul that should have, or the non-foul rather, that should have been called a foul, uh, late in the game on a Devin Booker where the shot was missed. Obviously Booker was trying to intentionally foul the guy and shot was missed. And Giannis just kept going. He kept cutting right through and uh, got that layup kind of sealed deal for Milwaukee there. We saw that insane alley-oop he had with Drew Holiday, which we're talking about uh, towards the end of the show here. And so if you've got that athleticism of a little guy, but you've got the height, you know, that's worked before. That's that's worked before. That was Magic Johnson's whole thing, right? But if you've... Ben Simmons doesn't have that athleticism, right? And it's, it's unclear right now, right? As detrimental as it might be for Doc Rivers to say it, it was absolutely true that it's detrimental to, or rather, it's unclear, sorry, whether or not Simmons can be a starting point guard on a championship team. And I think with the package that Philadelphia is looking for, it could be a really dangerous trade, right? Because if they're looking for an all-star caliber player, well, Minnesota has two of those guys. They've got D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. Well, for sure, nobody's touching Cat, right? Cat uh, is kind of off limits. He's clearly the guy that they want to help build around, at least down low. Russell has always kind of, his name has always kind of swirled around in the NBA Twitter trade rumor section. But I don't think Minnesota has ever been serious about trading him because I think they understand something that I've been saying for a while that Russell, even with his ability, which is really good, I think he can be a really good point guard for us. He serves a bigger role as a town's insurance policy, right? If we have D'Angelo Russell, it's a lot less likely that Carl Anthony Towns is going to want to look for greener pastures in free agency. And so if we trade Russell, if we get rid of Russell after just two, well, really not even two years, a year and a half of uh, Russell and of seeing what he can do for the team, if we trade him now, I think that's going to leave kind of a sour taste in Towns' mouth. And it might be fodder for him to look for another team, to look for a team where he can be the starting caliber center on an all-star or on a uh, championship team or certainly on a postseason team, right? So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with that. 
in regards to a Simmons trade because it doesn't seem like Minnesota has any assets that they want. Of course, like uh, John Krasinski of The Athletic was pointing out that they could match the salary with Rubio and Beasley. And as good of a shooter as Beasley is, I don't think that's a package that pulls Simmons away. Of course, if that is a package that pulls Simmons away, then Minnesota should go for it right away, I would I would think. But I don't think that's something that entices Philadelphia. And anything that doesn't include a point guard is dangerous because Minnesota is already so loaded at that position with Noel and with Rubio and with Russell. Uh, if they bring McLaughlin back, they'll have him there. And so they're already so loaded at that position that I don't know if it would be a smart decision to not send a point guard to Philadelphia in a trade for Simmons. And so we'll see there. My, my biggest problem with it is that I just feel like Simmons and Towns is just kind of a watered-down version of Simmons and Embiid, right? Like Towns is not quite at the level that Embiid is at. Uh, and so I just worry that it's going to kind of be a similar situation for Simmons, which might be great because he'll play at the same level that he's been playing at, which will bring Minnesota to postseason. But I don't think it would get Minnesota any closer to a championship if that is something that the front office is looking to achieve within the next few years here. All right, we are back. We're coming back with the T-Wolves Weekly Podcast, and we're going to be talking about some uh, free agent situations for Minnesota. Of course, Minnesota doesn't have a draft pick in the upcoming draft, which happens on the 29th, I believe, and it's unlikely that they make a trade to make that so, unless, of course, the trade involves... Uh, Ben Simmons in a pick, but as we touched on just a little bit earlier, I don't think a Ben Simmons trade is likely to happen for Minnesota. Uh, So the best chance for the team to build would be through free agency. And the problem there is that Minnesota has so such a limited cap space that there are so few guys that they can get. And so I got three guys here who, might be worth taking a risk on. Of course, Minnesota's got about $5 million in cap, uh, which is almost nothing for what they need. And so I think it's going to be best that they, if they do end up signing somebody, that they spend all of that on one guy instead of trying to kind of sparse, sparse it around. Send all of it on one guy. Sign any other open roster spots to a minimum. That's probably the best route for Minnesota to go right now. And so one guy I'm looking at here is uh, Laurie Markkinen, of course, a former Minnesota draft pick who was traded on the night of the draft for Jimmy Butler. Markkinen has been a good player for the Bulls. Uh, he's He made about $5 million last season. Of course, that's likely to go up, and it's right on the verge of where Minnesota can offer. And so... There are questions to if Minnesota can even get him because it's it's such a it's such a close situation for them. It's such a close number for them to the cap that they're at. 
But if they can get them, Markkinen, I think, is a guy who the front office would love, right? You're looking at 40% three, uh, three-point shooting last season, uh, 48 from the field. And so a guy who's really stellar on offense, then you turn and he's got 5.3 uh, rebounds in about 25 minutes. So not a fantastic rebounder, more of a kind of stretch, uh, stretch four kind of guy. But those are the guys I think that Rosas and Finch really love and are going to lean towards. And so I can definitely see them bringing Markinen in. Of course, they, they would likely bring him off the bench if they brought him in, uh, which Markinen came off the bench for quite a few games in this last season with Chicago. But for the other three seasons that he's played with them, he's been a starter. And so whether or not he would be okay with that role is yet to be seen. And of course, Chicago do have his bird rights, and so they can offer him a lot of money without really impacting their cap situation. And so it's yet to be seen if Markman will even be kind of available for the team, but he would be a nice little pickup. Another guy who Minnesota could look at this offseason in free agency is uh, Willie Cauley-Stein. Now, he was brought in to the Dallas Mavericks for the same reason that Minnesota would bring him in, to see if he can be a sort of rim protector. And Dallas, I think, decided that, nope, he cannot be the rim protector, that they need the kind of backup to Porzingis. And so uh, he made about $4 million last season, and he's got a club option on his deal. It's not likely that... Dallas accepts that. It's likely that they decline it. Uh, I don't think Markman is going to be on the list. Or, excuse me, I don't think uh, Colley Stein is going to be on the list for a lot of teams. And so Minnesota, Minnesota could kind of lowball him there, maybe go for a $3 million or $2 million deal. Uh, and just bring him in. If it doesn't work, he could be a nice little, like, salary booster to a trade, right, to make salaries match if it worked. But if it works, if it ends up working, you know, Kali Stein showed that he could be a fairly uh, a fairly decent rim protector when he was in his kind of prime of his career right now. And so that, that prime was kind of the 2017, 2018, 2018, 2019 seasons. And in those two seasons... Stein averaged uh, 0.8 blocks a game. He averaged 12.3 points. Uh, he shot 52% from the field. He's not a big three-point shooter. He only shot 28% from deep. Uh, and he only made about 58% of his free throws. But he also corralled 7.7 uh, assists in, or 7.7 rebounds, excuse me, and 2.4 assists, as well as 1.1 steals, which is a really good number for a big guy, right? You don't see big guys averaging uh, one steal a game a whole lot. And if you look at those two seasons individually, of course, uh, Kali Stein averaged 0.9 blocks per game in 17-18, so just under one, and 0.6 in 18-19. And then the following season, he went to average 1.1 blocks per game between the Golden State Warriors and the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, so he's got it in him to be 
the kind of defensive presence that they need. And it would be nice to bring someone into Minnesota who doesn't expect or necessarily want to be a big focus of the offense, right? If you bring somebody like Simmons in, if you bring somebody like Markinen in, they're going to want to be a focus of the offense. They're going to want to be somebody to look at uh, with probably a second or third look, right? And so it might be nice for Minnesota to bring somebody in who recognizes that his role is defensively coming off the bench for the team, not uh, offensively trying to score points, get the team ahead, right? We've got enough players who can do that. I think if Cauley Stein can regain his older form, which he's still a young player, and so I think it's entirely possible that he could. I think it's entirely possible that he could regain the form that he was in just a couple of years ago. And if he can do that, Minnesota has been struggling on defense for a while. And so uh, having somebody like that in college San Francisco is 27 years old. So it's entirely possible that he could revert back to being the defensive guy that Minnesota is needing, right? And to be a defensive presence coming off the bench. And along those same lines, uh, the final guy who falls into the camp of probably can't get him, but would be really cool if we could, would be Jarrett Allen, uh, former Brooklyn Nets player. Uh, now he is finishing up his season with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And uh, the problem with Allen is if you look at his salary from last year, it was $2.5 million. That's a little deceptive because Allen's coming off of his rookie deal. Uh, and so he is likely set to get a large bump in salary. Will that fall under $5 million? Probably not. This is the situation that we're looking at where Allen is, makes Allen probably somebody who Minnesota can't get. But if you look at him just, uh, just this last season, between Brooklyn and Cleveland, he averaged 12.8 points. 1.4 blocks gained, 0.5 steals, 1.7 assists, uh, 10 rebounds. So he's averaging a double-double now in only his fourth season. And so I think, while it's unlikely that they could get Allen, he should definitely be somebody who they talk to and who they send an offer out to. Because if they can entice him, you know, bringing him for maybe – four years or so, three years or so with a $12, $16 million deal, throw a player option on there. And then over those three years, you're kind of on a ticking clock to drop your uh, drop your salary, drop your cap a little bit so that you can offer him more money the following year. Of course, if they bring him for four years, they would have bird rights on him, which would be really, really nice. Uh, Alan is a really good guy to have bird rights on. Uh, because he's one of those guys who you can just give a ton of money to outprice everybody in the market and keep him. So it's maybe unlikely that Minnesota can pick him up this offseason, but if they could, it would be a really nice addition for the team. All right, we're going to move on to talking about uh, the NBA Finals. We're just going to finish up here with kind of a broader NBA view. Uh, and this final, somebody 
pointed this out. I believe it was Lachlan Everett on Twitter pointed this out that this finals is arguably the best since 2016. Of course, 2016 was the year that Cleveland came back from being down 3-1. And I would kind of agree with that. Uh, I, I did really like last year's finals. I did really enjoy the 2020 finals, but I understand why it might be difficult for a lot of people to look at that and say like, oh, that was really good finals because there was just so much that was happening. Of course, I was in the bubble. And so I can see, I can see why people would say that, uh, it's, it's this year that this is the best final since 2016. And if it's not the best finals, I, I would say it's the second best finals. And so Milwaukee has looked really dominant in these games, right? And especially in game five, which uh, happened Saturday night, last night as I record this, being down 16 after the first quarter. And it looked like Phoenix was just going to run away with it. But then a disastrous second quarter came back and uh, Milwaukee outscored Phoenix by 19, meaning that Milwaukee had a three-point lead going into the half. Uh, Cam Johnson, it should be noted that after the first half ended with a negative 21 plus minus, which, while that is an astounding number, I did point out on Twitter that plus minus is more an indicator of team success. It's more an indicator of team performance than it is of individual stuff. So if you see something like that floating around, don't assume that he had just a horrible game. You know, he had, oh, couldn't believe it, right? Because plus minus is how many points does your team score compared against the opponent while you are on the floor. And so while, yes, that could be an indicator of how good you specifically are playing, it could also be an indicator of how poorly your team is playing. And so in a half where Milwaukee just let slip a... Nine, or Phoenix, excuse me, let's slip a 19-point turnaround in the second quarter. Don't be surprised to see a lot of uh, negatives from the team. And yeah, Johnson ended with negative 19 uh, as a whole for the night. And so there's there's been a lot of great stuff. I put a poll up on Twitter earlier today asking people what the play of the series has been so far, whether it was the game four block, of course, on the alley-oop to DeAndre Ayton that Giannis Antetokounmpo had, or if it was that amazing uh, steal and then alley-oop pass to Giannis from Drew Holiday in game five. And I was expecting the lob to just kind of run away with it. NBA fans are typically focused a lot on offense and on flashy kind of highlight stuff. And there's recency bias. Of course, both of these happened within the past, you know, month, obviously, but even then asking the day after it happened, I I just expected the lob to kind of run away with it. But right now it is deadlocked 50%. (laughs) Uh, Half the people say that, the game four block was better. Half the people say that the game four or the game five alley oop was better. Uh, and I'm I'm of the opinion that the alley oop was a little better because I'm not just counting the alley oop. I'm counting the whole sequence and 
Drew Holiday getting that steal was such a risky move because if he doesn't get it, his guy can cut, get open, and they can score. And Phoenix was only down by one at that point. And so if he misses that and his guy gets open, scores, and Phoenix takes the lead, that is a huge uh, point of blame for uh, Holiday. And so the fact that he had just the balls to take it and to go for it and then to run down the court and not just kind of drain some time, but instead to throw an alley-oop to Giannis to kind of seal the deal. Yeah, that was a huge play by Holiday. I was... I was just buzzing after I saw it for a while. I absolutely loved it. I gave the MVP of the game to Holiday for that because his play, especially in the fourth quarter, was just insane. Uh, and even the lob, the lob was, I don't know if people could tell, but it was just a little far. But Giannis is so tall and so lanky that he was able to just kind of soar up and grab it. And yeah, the grab on the lob and the, the dunk. And there's a great picture of... You know, Giannis throwing it down, and you see LeBron James behind him. But if you just look at the crowd in that picture, the sheer agony on the Phoenix Suns fans' faces, because they knew at that point the game was over. The sheer agony is just astounding to me. It's kind of hilarious in a uh, in a dark sort of way, a dark twisted sort of way. Uh, and of course, you can't overlook. What I mean, you can't overlook what Giannis has done, right? Uh, Giannis, like I said, has for the last season for me been on that line between tier one, and tier two guys. You know, tier one being those seven guys who I ran off earlier. Uh, and I think if he can pull away in game six, he is a superstar at this point to just pull his team back from 0 2 to go on a four point game or a four game winning streak win the NBA Finals, I think we have to look at Adam as a superstar in that point. And I I ran through a little thread on Twitter uh, early this morning, about one in the morning, and I just want to read it off here because it was something really interesting I found. I was kind of looking through old finals, and since the fir- very first NBA Finals, since 1947, the first road team to get a win, which... Milwaukee was. Milwaukee was the first road team to get a win in this game. They have won the finals uh, 55% of the time. And in an interesting kind of note here, in 1977, the Portland Trailblazers went down 0-2, tied the series in the next two games, won game five on the road, and then finished it in game six. Uh, at this point, they are the only team in history to do that. So you're looking at coming back from 0-2 is a really astounding feat anyways, right? Only four teams in the history of the NBA have done it. Uh, so it was the 77 Blazers, the 69 Celtics, uh, the 06 and the 06 Heat, and then, of course, the uh, 16, the aforementioned, the 2016 uh, Cleveland Cavaliers uh, also did that. And so... Those four teams are the only teams who have come back from 0-2, and there's only been one team in the history of the finals since 1947 to do what Milwaukee's looking at doing right now. And I quote-tweeted that tweet 
and gave a little bit of context. So the 69 Celts, even an 0-2 series, and then they lost game five. Uh, the 06 Heat, even an 0-2 series, and they won game five. They were the home team. Uh, the, Of course, the 2016 uh, Cleveland Cavaliers went down 0-2, won game three, but then lost game four, and so they weren't able to eat the series until game, uh, game six. And then I pointed out that two teams, the 97 Bulls and the 05 Spurs, both blew a 2-0 lead, which Phoenix did. And then 97 Bulls won it in six, and the 05 Spurs won it in seven. However, both of those teams won game five. And so if Phoenix is able to take a hit, go down 3-2, come back and win it in game seven, which is what they're looking at, hoping to do right now, they would be the only team in finals history to do that, uh, which is a pretty monumental stat on its own. And so you're looking at Giannis kind of pulling his team to a historic finals run like this. I think he absolutely moves to superstardom at the end here. And then, of course, you can't also overlook what Middleton has done. Uh, games one and two, he was kind of absent. But then games three, four, and five, he has been the guy to step up and kind of take some uh, take some of the burden off of Giannis when you need him to. And so Chris Middleton has been just insane over these last few games, and uh, he has been a great addition for them to have and a great asset for them to have. And my prediction here, if I'm looking at it and if I'm being honest, uh, before game four, I said whoever wins game four wins the series. Right? Whoever wins game four is going to go on to win the series. I think it's going to be Bucks in six. I think Milwaukee is going to close things out on Tuesday. But we'll see how that all goes. This has been the Timberwolves Weekly Podcast. I've been Ethan Becker, and I'll continue to be Ethan Becker. You can find me on Twitter, at RealEthanBecker. Don't forget, October 16th, NBA Forgotten History has come out talking about the Larry Bird left-handed game. Other than that, see you next week.